Hey, it's Matt Bovey from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, or any other tasks that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too, on demand, so it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bove and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. Well, we may be taking the show on the road on Monday, July 31st at Barbell in Rochester, but we are outside on a football field talking to you on this It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast. Sal Capaccio and Matt Bove, the rain has gone away Matt which allowed us to come out here and do this yes a little bit this is actually kind of a twofer because we're watching practice we're recording the podcast we wanted to make sure that we got everybody an episode as soon as possible we're towards the end of the second practice so we can kind of do a little bit of live play-by-play for you while we're watching practice but I think the main thing I want to talk about really in this entire episode is during the early days of training camp the first the second the third the fourth the fifth during those early days there's still so much acclimation going on these guys are not in pads I don't want to Take too much away from, oh, the offense didn't look great today, or oh, the defense looked really good, or vice versa. The offense looked a little bit better. The defense was struggling. I think that's a little bit overblown, but I do want to kind of highlight some of the players who have been lining up with the starters because this year, for the first time in a while, we are now allowed to tell you that on days when fans are here which makes a lot of sense. If there's a fan sitting watching practice, they can go, oh, look, Ryan Bates and Connor McGovern are the starting guards. Now we're actually able to tell you that, which is kind of nice, and there's some interesting positions that I think we want to highlight. For sure. In fact, now that we're standing here, I see the offense is blocking us. We will move down here a little bit if you want. We're actually going to do this live as we walk by so we can see what's happening on the field and tell you a little bit. Let's set it up, though, what we can and can't say. We could tell you who's starting. First team, second team. We can't tell you what personnel packages they're using. We can't do a specific, uh, this guy ran a certain route and he was covered by this guy necessarily. Um, But we could tell you, like I said, first team, second team. And that's what we're going to do here because I think the big news is through the first couple days as Stefan Diggs makes a sliding grab, um, I can tell you Josh Allen is the starting quarterback, of course, and that was who it was from. Um, I think the big news is really the spots we've been looking at. Let's start with corner. Christian Benford out here starting today. Yesterday, first day, day one, it was Dane Jackson. Now, I wonder if day three, we'll see if that goes to Kyrie Elam. But so far, it's not been Elam. It's only been the other two. I just have a feeling about Christian Benford. I don't know what it is. I think this was an incredibly important camp. It is an incredibly important camp for Kyrie Elam. But from what we've seen of Benford when he has been able to play and also the way that Brandon Bean talked about him after the first day, I think they just really like the way he handles himself. I think Christian Benford may have be, has become my favorite 
to win the job at cornerback too. It's really, really early, and that's not from anything we've seen on the field. It's from the way that his general manager and his peers have talked about him. I think they really, really like him. You say it hasn't been necessarily in the field. He did have the play of the day, maybe day one, on when he undercutted Stefan Diggs and made an interception. I think it would have been a holding penalty. And actually, oh. Josh Allen was very, very adamant about that. So when you see everybody reporting and writing, there was an interception on the goal line. Christian Benford made the play. He also basically tackled Stefan Diggs before he intercepted him. It was a 50-50 ball to an extent, so I guess it just depends on the person. I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm just saying... That's why sometimes you got to kind of take those with a grain of salt. It's interesting you bring that up. Remember last year he was really grabby when we started they camp. Put him, they put they, him in the boxing gloves. That's right. So you hope that something like that doesn't come up again. And remember last year he also hurt his hand. He didn't have a full season. So, he, you know, now it's year two. Hopefully he's learned a lot of lessons from that. But I think it's interesting that you bring that up. Kyrie Elam is now running with the next group of defenders on the field and a really nice catch and throw and catch from Barkley to Trent Sherfield. We'll talk about the receivers in a minute. Let's stay on the defensive side. Same thing happening at middle linebacker that happened at corner the first two days. Two different players. Day one, Tyrell Dodson. Day two, Terrell Bernard. Now, we have not seen Dorian Williams at Mike yet starting. Sean McDermott went on WGR on the Howard and uh, Howard, I'm sorry, on the uh, Jeremy White and Joe DiBiase on Jeremy White show with Joe DiBiase and he said Dorian Williams is playing more of the will linebacker right now. Yeah. So I don't know if I even expect him to be lining up here at Mike. Old habits die hard, by the way, with the whole Howard Simon thing. I still yes. sometimes say eyewitness news. We're no longer eyewitness <laughs> news. But I'll say, like, oh, you're watching 7 Eyewitness News. That is no longer the case. So, yeah, I think that that was probably how we thought it would play out. I think Dodson is the most experienced of the three who we think are the front runners to win that job. It made sense that he got the first shot at the first rep. Terrell Bernard has another year of experience compared to Dorian Williams. So, I don't know what's going to play out there. I think I would say Dodson's probably the front runner at this point. The way Von Miller was talking about it yesterday, it sounds like he's the front runner to be the middle linebacker. And also interesting, Sean McDermott did say, although some teams kind of have their communication handled by other positions, other players, he wants the middle linebacker to be the voice of the defense, the communicator of the defense. So that adds just another layer of responsibility that I think you've probably taken for granted for the last several years with Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, he said... Ideally, that's the case. He said he's open to someone doing it, but you know that that's just not really how this defense is going to function or most defenses function. Who would it be? Matt Milano? I don't think you really want to put that in his play. He needs to think fast at the Will linebacker yeah. spot. And, you know, Micah Hyde, who's back there. Micah Hyde at his age, I'm not so sure he's going to be on the field 100% of the time to be able to do that. So you want somebody who has a little bit of experience. So let's get back to Dorian Williams. Never a surprise to me. When he was drafted, I said, look, I think this guy projects as a will linebacker. He might be able to play Mike, but that would be a lot to put on his plate. Think about Matt. It's not just a rookie. It's a rookie calling the plays in the middle of the defense with the head coach as the play caller for the first time for a team with Super Bowl aspirations. That's a lot to ask. Yeah, and I feel like the skill set from what we've seen early on makes sense that he could be somebody who learns from Matt Milano. Maybe eventually he can make that transition. Maybe that happens sooner rather than later. But that was kind of their vision early on for him. And then they switched their tune 24 hours later, the next time we heard from Brandon Bean. So it's not a massive surprise. I think I said on the podcast a couple weeks ago, I thought he could sneakily contend for the job. But now thinking of the way they handle things, the very early days of camp, 
I would say Dodson probably is lining up next to Matt Milano for the first game of the season. But, you know, there's still so many more practices, so many things left to happen. We need to see these guys in an actual preseason game. Heck, we need to see these guys in pads before we can start really knowing how this is going to shape out. A.J. Klein also mentioned by Sean McDermott as a guy playing the middle linebacker spot. Now, you know what you get in A.J. Klein. He's a veteran. He's going to be able to, you know, he's better north-south than he is sideline to sideline. He's probably not a three-down linebacker. But at the same time, A.J. Klein is a person I think they do feel comfortable to rely on. If, let's just say, Matt, the scenario is, boy, I'm not really sure if Terrell Bernard can handle the rigors of the run game. is a little bit undersized. Boy, I'm not really sure Tyrell Dodson is going to be the coverage linebacker we want. You know what? I, I think we could at least go to A.J. Klein to stabilize the position. I could see a scenario like that, but it would take a set of circumstances for me for A.J. Klein to be that guy. I feel like it's almost the same conversation with Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, and Kyir Elam. You know what you're getting out of Dane Jackson. You know what you're getting out of A.J. Klein. If those are positions that you just want to be steady and you think the upside of the rest of your roster will be able to kind of lift your defense to the level it needs to be, those are probably decisions that you make. But I still like the idea of, you know, swinging for the fences and I think that's going to ultimately happen and while we were talking a really really nice play from Josh Allen to Dalton Kincaid we can't tell you the type of route but I can tell you it was not a short pass and it led to a nice little applause from the crowd here I can tell you Josh Allen rolled out he hit him on the run he hit him on the run but it was a really nice play and that's why you heard that and let's talk about the offense let's go to that side of the ball we'll start with tight ends as you just said it Dalton Kincaid um, first impressions, the first couple of days, including what you just saw in that play right there. Looks good. Looks good. Looks like an athlete. Looks like a playmaker. Looks like somebody who I think they're going to use a lot. I think there was a reason that Sean McDermott kind of especially pointed him out before they even had their first practice. And he said he's heard the noise, he's seen it on TV, he's read it in the papers that you know he's getting compared to Travis Kelsey. He did not mention Travis Kelsey's name, but he basically said, can we let this guy get one practice into training camp before we start talking about, you know, comparisons and projections or anything like that? This team has historically, with this front office and coaching staff, eased rookies into things. The only exceptions, there are very, very few of them. I think Dalton Kincaid might break the mold. I think Dalton Kincaid's going to be on the field a lot. And I think if you're in a fantasy football league, I think I'm drafting him and not Dawson Knox. I think the upside with Kincaid is greater than the upside with Knox. I think Knox might finish with more touchdowns, but I think Kincaid might actually out-reception Knox when all is said and done. But I don't want to, like, be the exact thing that McDermott was talking about. It is early. Let's see this kid in a preseason game. But so far, so good for him. He looks really impressive. There is another rookie on offense that's been getting a look. Let's talk about him. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Cyrus Torrance, second round pick from the University of Florida, has also, Matt, had a little bit of run with the first unit on offense, but it's been mostly in red zone situations. And let's remember, we're not hitting yet. So it might be a situation where they just want to see how he gets acclimated and understands the playbook from that. We don't know yet. So, as Mitch Moore said, please don't read anything into who's getting it. Mitch was very big about don't read anything into who's playing where. But Osiris Torrance at least getting a little bit of a look early with the ones. You know what else was interesting to me? When we heard from Mitch Morris, he talked a lot about Connor McGovern and how he fits into this offense. And he said that he's going to need to reshape his game into the style of play the Bills have compared to what the Cowboys have always done well. And I think that was an interesting way of putting it because I think when you look at it from the outside looking in, you're like, okay, he's a guard. He can just slide into guard here and it'll be a pretty seamless transition. I think what the Bills do is obviously different than how the Cowboys approach it. But I also think maybe McGovern fits in better with what the Bills are trying to do, and he could be a solid fit. So going back to him, I think you can basically just write him in Sharpie that he is going to be starting at guard as long as he's healthy. I think maybe Osiris Torrance gets on the field. Maybe there's some sort of rotation with Ryan Bates, but that usually doesn't happen on the offensive line. You want your guys to be practicing and playing together as much as possible. Did Dawson Knox come down with that? He did. Wow, that was a really nice play. Another play where Josh Allen rolled out to his side and found. You know why he had to roll out? Did you see that? Who broke the middle? Greg Rousseau was in on a, in a hurry. Yeah. So I mean, that was a really nice play. I saw that. You know, he obviously had to scatter, but. I will say, I said at the beginning of the podcast, you don't want to read too much into like, oh, the offense doesn't look good, or oh, the offense looks good, the defense looks good, any of that stuff. From everything we have seen on day two, a much more efficient day compared to what it was for day one, at least as far as the offense is concerned. Yeah, and I agree with you about McGovern and Bates. You know, I've said from the beginning, I think it's a challenge for Osiris Torrance to win a starting job in the interior on this team. Um, I don't see it happening. Maybe he eventually wins a starting job, but they're paying Connor McGovern a lot of money. They have Ryan Bates, who they really believe in, who can do a lot for them. Now, he's also really versatile, and a great interception come up here by Jordan Poyer. Really nice interception. Had to undercut a route thrown over to Dalton Kincaid. And listen. I love it. This is what you get. I, I jinxed him. I just said the offense looked better today. And then Jordan Poyer makes an unbelievable interception. That was a little bit reminiscent of the Micah Hyde interception in the Patriots wildcard game where he slid and caught it. That's kind of what Poyer did. It was not a deep shot, but still just a really, really impressive catch there. All right, so you pick for me. One other thing, too. Going back to the whole interception thing, this is the time for a quarterback to see what they can and can't get away with. So you're going to see at this training camp and training camps all around the league, oh, this guy threw an interception. Oh, this guy had two interceptions on the day. I don't really think that translates into anything. I think this is the setting for Josh Allen to go, okay, I can get away with that throw. I cannot get away with that throw. I don't think this is a sign of bad decision-making. I don't think this is a sign that the offense isn't in sync. I think this is a sign that, like, okay, I'm going to try everything out here, and then I'm going to implement what works into our game plan, and what doesn't work we're going to leave on the cutting room floor. So that's how I feel about that. You know, 
First of all, you pick. Which is the play of the day I have to write about? I have to pick a play of the day every day at WGR550.com. We've seen the Dalton Kincaid catch, the Dawson Knox catch, the Jordan Poyer interception. What would you choose? Well, do you want to make people happy or a little bit annoyed? Because I think the Jordan Jordan Poyer play was probably more impressive, but I think people will be more excited about the Dalton Kincaid play. It's probably right. It's a good way to look at it. We like to keep people excited around here. All right, let's go back to the defense real quick. I just mentioned uh, Greg Rousseau. He got in on Josh Allen in a hurry. Without giving details of how they did it, we can tell you that yesterday there were some really interesting combinations they were using. In one particular set, you had on the field at the same time Greg Rousseau, A.J. Epinesa, and Leonard Floyd. Boy, Matt, that really gives you a lot of length and a lot of options to be able to do things. It does, and it gives them a look that they have not had, at least in the last several years. It gives them a lot of viable options, and it still has me wondering, Leonard Floyd and Greg Russo removed. It has me wondering, after hearing from Von Miller, when does he get back? Because I posted a video on whatever the website is called. I don't know if it's Twitter, I don't know if it's X, whatever it is. And I said, I am not a doctor, but Von Miller looks to be doing more than I thought he would be doing. He quoted the tweet with the little emoji of the shushing person. I saw him quote tweet you. Which is weird because by shushing, you're actually bringing it to more people that what you're doing. The way they've talked, it may, they're making it very clear they do not want to rush him. But they also said that you know they are taking it day to day and that there are things that he is capable of doing. They just want to see him do everything. I don't think he's going to be ready. This is just my hunch. I don't think he's going to be ready for the start. But I also don't think he's going to miss six games. That's just my read on it. Well, Pup would only be four now. They changed the – they, so let me ask you this. Do you think he starts the season on Pup to save the roster spot? No, I don't think he does because I think there is potential that he gets back faster than that. And the reason I said six weeks was because back at OTAs or whatever yes. it was, he said yes. that was kind of the tail end of the timeline that he was working on. Maybe they're ultra-conservative, and if that's what they decide to do, there is nothing wrong with that. I really do subscribe that you need him more in December and January than you do in September and early October. But just from what we've seen of him and just the way he's walking around and talking to people and talking to us as reporters, I get the sense that he might be back sooner than we thought. We didn't touch on the running back position. I think that's more for next week when the pads come on. We'll see a little bit more about that. But I do want to say... Before day two, we talked to Ken Dorsey, and when talking about the running backs, he said that the other guys complement James Cook well. Now, he corrected himself a couple seconds later and said, you know, they all complement each other, but to me, that's something to read into a little bit. I agree. That makes me think, okay, they are operating, maybe they're not, but right now, James Cook appears to be the guy. And I didn't know if that was going to be the case. I thought Damian Harris could be the starting running back on this team. I think right now, probably looks like it's going to be James Cook. I've always believed it's James Cook. I've always believed he would take over the Devin Singletary role while Damian Harris kind of takes over the James Cook role with a little bit more added on this year. All right, before we head on out of here, we're going to have Ben Volin on from the Boston Globe coming up in a little while. A couple things. Number one, we're going to be at Barbill Monday night, July 31st. Come out and see us. We're going to be doing a... Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast. We'll do audio. We'll do video. You never know who's going to stop by, but I do know one thing that's stopping by, and that is some good wings. Absolutely, and that's a little bit of a tease because we think we know who's stopping by, but we can't exactly confirm that yet. So when we say that, 
it's intentional. We are hoping that we have a guest or two that are joining us, and uh, hopefully that works out. I'm very excited. I know there's been a lot of really positive feedback. A, pun- a bunch of people have said that they are trying to come. Hopefully we can fill the place out. Hopefully we can all have some great Cajun honey butter barbecue wings, and then after we tape the podcast, we can all just kind of hang out with each other and have a good night. 1129 Empire Boulevard, just a less than a 10-minute drive from St. John Fisher University where we are standing here on the football field watching practice and where we see Damar Hamlin. Matt, it's unbelievable to see this guy out here playing football after what happened, of course, in Cincinnati on January 2nd. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. I actually just found myself in the tunnel next to him as he walked down onto the field. It was not intentional. I just happened to be walking out. I looked over to my left, and Damar Hamlin was there. I snapped a quick picture, but it kind of sends a chill down your spine of like, wow, this guy is back. This guy is running out onto the field in front of all these fans. And, you know, you have all of these people here. He gets a very big ovation, rightfully so, given everything that he went through. To see him back out on the field, it's pretty, pretty special. And then finally, give me, you know, a minute or two on what you heard from Stefan Diggs in his, the first time he spoke yeah. to the media. We heard from him after day one. I mean, 20 minutes of honesty, I felt, transparency, and really interesting stuff. That was a master class from Stefan Diggs. That was handled, nothing's perfect. That was pretty dang close to perfect, the way he came out, what he said, how he said it, how forthcoming he was. I thought we were going to hear from Stefan Diggs early. I thought it made sense from a PR standpoint to put him out there on a day where there was a lot of stuff going on because that takes a little bit of the attention away. That was undoubtedly the biggest storyline of the first day of camp, and I thought he handled it perfect, and I thought he did a good job kind of putting to bed all of the rumors, all of the drama, and coincidentally, as we're having this conversation, he just hooked up with Josh Allen for a really, really nice play that, you know... Took it to the house. Took it to the house. I don't know if he would have taken it to the house. If they were actually tackling. Exactly, but still, a nice play, and Stefan Diggs right out of the bat yesterday, was their most effective player offensively. And guess what? He's going to continue to be that because he is that guy. He is so good. We want to thank you for listening, downloaded, subscribing. We are on audio only for this particular podcast, but almost always on video. You can find that at Sal Sports is the YouTube channel. But audio, iTunes, Spotify, and also while we head on out of here, remember, we have Ben Volin coming up. So we're going to... Say thank you for listening, but in the meantime, one more segment, Ben Volin, Boston Globe. He joins us right now on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. All right, Ben Volin of the Boston Globe joins us again two years in a row. we got to make this a yearly tradition, I guess. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Nothing better than coming out to Rochester for a little training camp. Honestly, one of the best parts uh, of my tour every year is to come out to Bill's camp, so always a lot of fun. We were just talking to Ben. You just flew in the other day from Boston, so you were at Patriots camp for day one. Just early impressions on the Patriots. I know it's just one day, but just of the offseason in general and what their expectations should be this year. Yeah, sure, kind of big picture because we've, we've been with the Patriots throughout OTAs and mini camps and now uh, the first day of camp. So you, there's a big kumbaya uh, feeling with, with the Patriots right now. Last year went sideways for many reasons, mostly because I think of the coaching setup uh, where Bill Belichick put Matt Patricia and Joe Judge in charge of the offense. And the players just did not seem to buy in, and especially Mac Jones. I think it, it really went sideways last year. You saw him screaming at the coaches on the field a lot. 
you know, uh, kind of showing up the coaches a little bit. And then the reports that behind the scenes, he was contacting his old coaches at Alabama, asking how do we fix things, and Belichick caught wind of it. And so when you talk to Mac Jones now, he talks about having a fresh start this year, which I think is key. Like, they're putting last year behind them and just forget last year. It's We're moving on to 23. It's a fresh start. But it shows you how backwards things went last year. And, and Mac Jones is now entering his third season, and it's like they're starting fresh again from, from zero. New offensive coordinator, you know, new start with the coaching staff. Uh, so uh, definitely getting a sense that, hey, all is well now, but they're starting from, from not a, as good of a place as maybe some other teams. And then I think big picture, you have to be concerned about their offense. They have some nice pieces. I like Juju Smith-Schuster. I think they view him as kind of an Edelman, like a, a physical slot guy over the middle, better yards after the catch. Mike Gesicki, Hunter Henry, a decent you know tight end combo. My worry is just they have a lot of B-level receivers, not enough of A-level guys to be able to keep up with the Bills, the Bengals, the Chiefs. So I think if everything goes well, the Patriots could be competitive this year, but they don't seem to have the high-end firepower to really compete in the AFC. Yeah, especially in the AFC East where everybody seems like they're really good. They got better in some capacity. It seems like the two biggest additions are coordinators. Vic Fangio maybe in Miami, Bill O'Brien in New England. What will Bill O'Brien be able to do? How will the offense look different under Bill O'Brien? The first thing I think Bill O'Brien brings is credibility. And, you know, it goes back to what I said before. When you put a career defensive coordinator and a career special teams coach in Matt Patricia and Joe Judge in charge of the offense and uh, quarterbacks rooms, that's tough for the players to buy in. You know, from from the get-go, I think players were questioning, do these coaches really have our best interests in mind? So now Bill Bill O'Brien, he's been there, done it with the Patriots. He was an offensive coordinator, head coach for the Texans and and Penn State. Uh, he's been an offensive coordinator at Alabama, so he's bringing some college concepts, some college ideas with him. He's been around not just within Foxborough, so he's got some outside ideas and brings some credibility. Now, I have some questions. Bill O'Brien, you know, he's a guy who over the years, when he has good quarterbacks, his offenses do well, and when he doesn't have good quarterbacks, his offenses have been pretty mediocre. So I still think a lot of it is going to fall on Mac Jones and taking that big step now in his third season. Mac Jones now having his third offensive coordinator in three years. How is he going to handle that? Um, to me, it's no more excuses for Mac Jones. Last year, you could point to, well, he didn't quite have the receivers, didn't quite have the coaching. Now, the coaching, I think, is definitely more improved with Bill O'Brien, and I do think the, the weapons are a little bit upgraded, not significantly, but I do like Juju Smith-Schuster over Jacoby Myers. So, to me, no more excuses for Mac Jones. He's got a real coach now in Bill O'Brien. What is the bar that Mac Jones needs to reach? Because rookie Mac Jones was good. Last year, Mac Jones, not so good. If he reverts back to rookie Mac Jones, is that enough? Or does he need to have the best season he's ever had to ultimately kind of prove himself that he can be a guy long-term? Yeah, I think everyone would be happy with rookie Mac Jones, where I believe his touchdown-interception ratio was 22-13, to very solid. He didn't win games, but he didn't lose games, and, and I think that's, Bill Be- that's right up Bill Belichick's alley. He loves <laughs> playing football that way, and uh, you do wonder if the way the Patriots are built now more on defense and special teams, that's where they've uh, spent most of their resources this offseason. Again, is Bill Belichick stuck in the past a little bit, and can he adapt to the modern NFL where the Super Bowl is being won 38-35? to I, I don't know yet. But um, everyone would be happy with rookie year Mac Jones just because it was drama-free. He played pretty well. I personally would like to see more out of him in the fourth quarter. He doesn't have a signature win yet in two years. I, th- I believe the only fourth quarter comeback – 
It was his rookie year, week five against the Texans, who were like a tanking team. Otherwise, he's like O for his career whenever a team scores more than 23 points, I want to say, or 24 points. So he's never really won a shootout, never won a game where the other team scores 30 points. I know it doesn't happen often, but I'd like to see Mac take that next step. But big picture-wise, as far as being comfortable that Mac can be the quarterback for next year too, yeah, just revert to what you did rookie year where you limited mistakes, you didn't lose your team games, uh, and you got along with your coaches, and I think everyone would be happy with that. All right, let's talk about the head coach because nobody denies he's the most accomplished coach in NFL history, greatest coach in NFL history, however you want to slice it. But it hasn't gone as well the last couple of years. He's within reach of the all-times win record. Now, I, I do know that it's generally counted playoffs and regular season, and he'll get that probably in the next couple of years. But 31 wins away from regular season record. They want to have him coaching on that sideline, but he's got, what, he's 72 now maybe, 71? Uh, 70 this 70, year. 70. So it might take him to be 72, 73 to get it. How does all this play out? Robert Kraft's going, hey, last couple of years, you know, I don't want to start winning again. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up the 31 wins uh, because the number that a lot of people in New England are focusing on is 18. When, when you include the playoffs, yes. Belichick's only 18 away, but – Someone, I forget who I was talking to recently, was like, since when do we include the postseason? I agree. In a lot of these. So there will be some debate. And if Belichick really wants the record, you're right. He's going to have to hang around to get the 31 wins, which is at least three more regular seasons. So Bill, uh, Robert Kraft was asked specifically, are you going to let Bill hang around to, to uh, get the records? He was asked this in March at the owners' meetings. And Robert Kraft, he's like, hey, we're not about stats around here. We're about championships. And he's right. They've never been about player stats. It's always been about the team. And if they're going 6-11, 7-10, even 8-9, and I definitely think the, the owners are going to take a, a long look at Bill Belichick and whether they need to, to keep this going or whether it's time to start fresh. And so, Isn't it ironic he's taking a page out of Belichick and saying, it's not about stats around here, when the guy who is all about – Saying that basically and operating that way is the guy now it could cost? No, no question. He's flipped it uh, on, on Bill Belichick. And absolutely, if they go 7-10 and 10 and Mac Jones doesn't show improvement, I, I definitely think there's a chance they make a, a change ahead coach. Uh, the Patriots, they already have their ducks in a row. They have it all lined up. They have Gerard Mayo. They kept him off the coaching market this year, gave him a big raise, pretty much made him the coach in waiting. Robert Kraft has said he views Gerard Mayo as a future head coach and hopes that it's in New England. They've got in the front office uh, Mac Rowe and Elliot Wolf, two kind of seasoned guys who are all already taking expanded roles in the front office. So they have it all ready to go to, to move on from Bill Belichick if that's what it takes. I think they'd rather him stick around and be able to set the record in New England. But if it's another disastrous season, I don't think they're just going to hang on. They've been spinning their wheels the last three years, 25 and 25, no playoff wins. Everyone's starting to get restless, and it's time. If it's another bad season like that, I don't think they're just going to keep spinning their wheels. Our audience, the people listening to this podcast, very in tune with the Buffalo Bills. So much of what you do is covering the New England Patriots, the division as a whole. From your vantage point, which team got the most improved over this offseason and could take the next biggest step next season? It's a good question. I would say everyone but the Bills showed the most improvement. The Bills kind of uh, stayed true to form this year and are just kind of run it back and hoping for, I would say, different mojo this year and not we, you guys obviously know everything that happened last season. They're probably just hoping for a little bit more normalcy this year. But, I mean, I, I think the Jets are the most improved just because it comes down to the quarterback. I, I am so on board with this Aaron Rodgers move to the Jets. I think it's going to work gangbusters. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I am all in. I think the Jets are going to win the division. I think he is the difference. Um, they have so many fantastic young players on that team. And here's my favorite stat. Last year – 
there were 46 quarterbacks across the league who throw 100 passes. The three Jets quarterbacks ranked in passer rating 43rd, 44th, and 45th. They had three of the four worst quarterbacks in the entire league. The only one who was worse was the Dolphins' Skylar Thompson. He was the only one who was worse. So they had just absolute dreadful, worse-than-replacement-level quarterback play. You don't even need Aaron Rodgers to be a superstar. You just need him to be decent and to not make too many mistakes. I love that they're bringing in his offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. The playbook that they came up with together helped him win MVP in 20 and 21. Rodgers' slide last year coincided with Hackett leaving for Denver. I love that they they brought in Aaron Rodgers to be the coach now. Everyone has to he he's the teacher and the coach as for, instead of the other way around. So I, I just think the Jets are, are loaded with talent and Rodgers is going to bring it all together. I'm I'm worried about the Bills not doing enough, um, having this weird hangover from the last two seasons. Obviously, the way it ended, I, I think there are questions about their toughness, mental toughness in January. Uh, Dolphins, you have to love what they've done with Vic Fangio, but to me, there's still major questions about Tua, and then I've already talked about how I feel about the Patriots. So it's going to come down to the Jets and Bills, and to me, I'm picking the Jets this year. Okay, well, there you're the green Kool-Aid drinker, as we learned. Ben Volan of the Boston Globe joining us here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. On the Bills, there is a national perspective. I know what you just said about them kind of staying stagnant, and maybe they're not, you're not saying they're going to necessarily be a bad football team, obviously. They're going to be good. But there is a perspective that, hey, the window's closing, um, they're going to take a step back. Like, how much of that do you buy into? How much of a step back could they take? And maybe is this window closing? Or, hey, as long as you have Josh Allen, like we like to say, you're still going to contend for a championship. Yes, I, I, I would agree with that, that as long as you have Josh Allen, you will be one of the best teams in the NFL. And they will be in the playoffs, and, and they will make noise. So I'm not writing off the bills by any stretch. Um, I'm just concerned that this is not a team that's – uh, got what it takes to, to play in January. Two really disappointing losses the last two years. And I'm looking at the – first of all, the window's not going to close because Josh Allen's going to be around for a long time. But the window on this roster is closing. The the spending this year, the, $300 million on the roster, they're outspending the Patriots by $100 million right now. So they're clearly all in with all these veteran guys. There's no way that they're going to be able to keep this core together. They're going to have to rebuild around Josh Allen in the next coming years and start drafting the next generation of Bills, drafting and developing. I'm worried about the wide receiver core. I don't think they've done enough. I was really surprised they didn't show more interest in DeAndre Hopkins. I thought that would have been the perfect answer for them. Obviously, Stephon Diggs, unbelievable player. Gabe Davis, very inconsistent. And a bunch of who are these guys behind him? Uh, you know, maybe someone like a Trent Sherfield uh, from Miami, maybe he uh, emerges. But, um, you know, you're asking a lot, I think, of Dalton Keene, the, the rookie, to, to be a – to me, tight end is one of the toughest positions to transition to right away. Asking a lot of him to be a receiver and a weapon in this offense. And Josh Allen, he's talked about wanting to be a little more conservative but but still – or smart but, but not conservative. But does he have it in him? You know, he, he's a, a wild stallion out there. He loves making the big plays and sometimes leads to great things and sometimes it holds him back. So – I'm just concerned that the Bills, uh, this court they put together, it's a very good team. But when you've got the Chiefs, when you've got the uh, the Bengals, now the Jets, there's a lot of excellent teams too. I'm just I'm a little worried that the Bills don't have what it takes. Last one for me. Rank them. We know Jets is one for you. How does it fall after that in the division? Yeah, Jets one, Bills two, and Bills are definitely making the playoffs and getting a wild card. Dolphins are three for sure, and I do really like the addition of Vic Fangio. You give them, uh, you improve that defense, 
you know, we'll see about Mike McDaniel's offense. I think maybe they caught a lot of teams off guard last year. Now it's year two. Teams have a little more tape on them, uh, especially on Tua. So I, I'm a little curious to see how the Dolphins do and if Tua can stay healthy. But they're going to be very competitive, so much speed. That's a track team out there. And the Patriots are four. They're going to be a pesky four, but they're, they're to, to me, the bottom team in the AFC East. You know, last year the NFC East almost got all four teams in the playoffs. It was very close, came down to the end, and it could have happened. You're going to see that this year, I think, where all four teams are in it till the very end. Maybe the Patriots or Dolphins fall out in Week 18, but AFC East is going to be very competitive. And the Jets and the Bills, certainly, that, that's going to be a dogfight for the, the top of the division. And I'll wrap up with, if I gave you a scenario that Tua does stay healthy for 17 games, do they contend with the Jets and the Bills for the division? They do. They, they've been a pesky team. They've given the Bills some fits, and they've given the Jets some fits over the years. And, and man, that, that's what a fun round robin that's yes. going to be of – Two games each, you know, Aaron Rodgers against Mike McDaniel's offense and against Vic Fangio. Aaron Rodgers twice against Bill Belichick. Uh, the Bills, Josh Allen versus Aaron Rodgers. That's going to be early in the season, obviously. Um, very difficult. There's going to be a little bit of ca- cannibalization, you would think, in the AFC East with some of these teams knocking each other off. But, um, yeah, w- what a fun division this year. It's going to be the number one division in the NFL. And every it seems like every game is going to be an event this year. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your AFC East training camp round trip and also beat Sal on the golf course when you guys play. Uh, I heard Sal uh, hit a couple birdies over at Oak Hill, so I don't know how easy that's going to be. Well, that means today I'll be shooting basically over 100 wherever we go. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Ben. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys.